covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. Welcome in to another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. It's great to have you along for the ride, our weekly look back and look forward, for that matter, of all things Milwaukee Brewers baseball. We've got a lot going on in the program. Our two featured guests, both actually this week, from the great website Brew Crew Ball. The managing editor, Kyle Lesneski, is going to join us coming up in uh, just a little while in our social media conversation. And then a guy, he may actually uh, set the new record this week for most appearances on the program. I'm not sure. At least he's tied for first. I'd have to uh, to go back and look. But nonetheless, we've had him on a lot lately. Uh, Brad Ford's going to join us because we are going to do a draft recap uh, with him. It was great uh, last week being able to do, uh, you know, we just have so many uh, great resources here. And I, I have to compliment the folks that I have uh, on the on the podcast each and every week because uh, so many great individuals to talk all things Milwaukee Brewers baseball. Uh, last week, of course, uh, we had Toby Harmon on to uh, preview the draft. And this week to review the draft, uh, we're going to have Brad Ford on the program. As always, if you want to get in contact with me, if you've got any feedback either on the podcast in general, or if you've got uh, something to say about a, a specific topic that we hit on over the course of the podcast, I always welcome in your feedback. Feel free to tweet at me, at Matt Pauley Radio, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y Radio. Again, that's at Matt Pauley Radio is the best way to uh, reach me. You can do that on Twitter. As always, we record the program on Sunday nights, and uh, as the uh, Brewers just finish up taking two out of three against San Diego, and the crew continues to sit in first place in the National League Central. Uh, They lead the Cubs by two and a half games. They lead the third place Cardinals by five and a half games. It is true. If the Brewers were in any other division in the National League, they would be significantly out of first place. Uh, the Brewers, uh, the Nationals in the uh, National League East are 42 and 27. And then in the National League West, you have a Rockies team with 46 wins and a Diamondbacks and a Dodgers team with 44 wins. But that doesn't matter. All that matters are the Brewers are in the National League Central. And I'm starting to kind of change my tune on something. Most people have expected the Chicago Cubs to, at some point in time, just take off with this thing. But here we sit on June 18th, and they're a 500 team. Now, do I still leave open the possibility that the Cubs are going to put things together and that roster is going to start clicking and they're going to look more like the team that they were last year? Absolutely. That is a possibility, and that could happen at any given moment. But am I giving it a higher percentage chance that the Cubs kind of are who the Cubs are and they're going to be around 500 and maybe we might see a bit of a a pennant race this year between the Brewers and the Cubs? I absolutely think that's possible. And when I, not that we sit here and talk about the Cubs that often on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, but when I do look at this Cubs team and I look at their starting pitching, I see an aging John Lackey. I see a John Lester who hasn't been completely uh, consistent this year. 
You have Eddie Butler in the starting rotation. You have Brett Anderson, who's been banged up, uh, who hasn't done much this year. You know, Mike Montgomery has been forced into the rotation, and even though he's got a solid 2.56 ERA through Sunday's action, he doesn't have a win. The starting rotation for the Cubs is not especially good. And then you add that with a number of players who are not performing at the level that they should perform. Here's a quick quiz for you. Of the active players on the Cubs roster on the night of Sunday, June 18th, who has the highest batting average? Might you think a Chris Bryant? Might you think an Anthony Rizzo? Might you think uh, an Ian Happ who's come up? Uh, a, a Kyle Schwarber? No. It's John Jay. John Jay. A guy who's been around for a while and has been a nice ball player, but never is somebody that you would think as being your, your team leader. He's sitting with a 319 average. Now, you know, he doesn't have some of the power numbers that some of the other folks have, but that's the point. This team is underachieving from all from all angles. And who knows? Maybe they don't put it together. Maybe they have a full year hangover. That being said, there's two things about the Brewers right now that uh, that have really been noteworthy over the course of the last week. And I say about the Brewers, maybe maybe one note about a fan standpoint on the Brewers, and then another note about the Brewers. Let's start with the with the Brewers note. The bullpen's got to be better. Look, I'm not breaking any uh, news here by saying that the bullpen's got to be better, but the bullpen does have to be better. Uh, I was giving a lot of guys a pass, uh, really, for for the last few days, the last couple weeks. Uh, but it's to a point now where guys have to start performing. You know, I was I was the number one defender of Carlos Torres, and I probably am still more of a defender of Carlos Torres than most out there, based off the feedback that I see on Twitter. And I continue to stand by the fact that on May 28th he had a 2.67 ERA. You know, that's a that was a good place for him to be, and that was less than three weeks ago. He's had three really, really bad weeks. But he has a 4.95 ERA through action on Sunday. You have a 4.95 ERA and 36 appearances on June 18th. That's not, that's not a small sample size. That's not a coincidence. He has earned that ERA, and he's going to have to earn it back down, or it's going to get to a point where maybe there's not room for him. And I'm, I'm a believer in Carlos Torres. I really appreciate the way he pitched last year, leading the team in appearances, having a sub-3 ERA. He's got a longer leash than most guys because of that background. And, and Craig Council is, a, is certainly a believer in Carlos Torres. And I'm a believer in Carlos Torres as well. But it's gotten to a point now that he's got to get things going. He had pitched two consecutive scoreless outings before he gave up a two-run home run and extra innings to San Diego in the second game of that series. Again, if you want to spin the numbers, if you want to try to uh, put it in a better direction, on his second to uh, last pitch before that home run, there was a ball that bounced foul down the first baseline and was just barely foul. That thing is uh, six inches more to uh, to the first base side. That's a fair ball, and the inning's over, and Carlos Torres has his third consecutive scoreless outing. But it didn't work out that way. And when you don't get that out, you got to finish the outing. you got to get the, uh, you got to record the out, especially in a game like that, and he didn't. So, you know, Carlos Torres has got to get things together. Oliver Drake has got to get things together. Uh, he's been up and down. Uh, you can't just look at a guy and see one good outing from a relief pitcher and feel like he's got it back going again. It's just not the way it works, and Craig Council has said this. A relief pitcher has one good outing, one bad outing, one good outing, one bad outing, keeps yo-yoing between the two. That's not a good relief pitcher. 
and they have to find some consistency. So that's the first thing. The second thing, it's a question I get all the time. I hear it continuously uh, on Brewers Extra Innings. And if you're not familiar with, uh, this is Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. I also do a show, uh, Brewers Extra Innings. We do that after almost all of the Brewers games. You can hear that on 620 WTMJ. As soon as the network uh, Brewers radio broadcast wraps up, I take you for another hour breaking down the game. And the thing that I'm hearing most, whether it's through phone calls or from text or from tweets, people want to see the Brewers make some moves. And I don't think it's completely out of the realm of possibility the Brewers make some small moves. In fact, I would argue that if the Brewers continue to be in first place or if the Brewers are indeed you know, hanging around as we approach the July 31st deadline, if we're still talking about the same stuff a month from right now, then absolutely, I think the Brewers make some small moves. But it's going to be a small move. I continue to believe that David Stearns and company they're not going to do anything that can mortgage the future of this club. Now, the Brewers do come at this from a position of strength. They have a number of players who are considered top 30 prospects, and I talk about this seemingly every week recently, and I talk about it on the show as well, but I'll continue to hammer this home. The Brewers have a number of players who are top 30 prospects who are blocked at their position and quite honestly, are never going to find a spot on the 40-man roster. These guys will be exposed moving forward where potentially the Brewers could lose these individuals for no compensation if the if other teams are willing to uh, place them on 40-man rosters or 25-man rosters, depending on uh, what phase of the Rule 5 draft and all that is, is going on. If the Brewers can spin those guys off because the, the, the they have such a good farm system and we've seen moves made where the Brewers have acquired talent from another organization where they're top 30 talent in the other organization and they come in and they can't crack the top 30 with the Brewers. So if, if, there's, a, if there's a trade available where the Brewers can trade off some of those guys who they're probably going to have to walk away from anyways going forward for no compensation. If they can spin those off to, to a franchise, to an organization that does not have quite the strong farm system that the Brewers have, and those guys would have more opportunity to end up on the 40-man roster over there, they got to do it. And there, there's still some options at the minor league system in terms of relief pitching. There are a few guys down there, and we're going to talk about that a lot when uh, Kyle Lesneski joins us here in just a few minutes. So maybe they want to explore those options first. But it's, at some point in time, this bullpen does have to improve and it has to improve mightily. And maybe they take the first step this past week with uh, removing Neftali Feliz. We'll get more into that in our headlines of the week. I think this team does possibly make some moves, but if you're thinking that they're going to go out and make just this huge blockbuster move to acquire one of the top uh, players available on the trade market, that's not going to happen. They're not going to do anything that could at all mortgage the future of this franchise. They would love to make it to the postseason this year. It would be a great story if somehow this team wins the Central and sneaks into the playoffs. It would be a spectacular story. But this organization, led by general manager David Stearns, they don't just want to win the division and sneak into the playoffs. They've been rebuilding this farm system with the idea that they're going to be able to put together a championship-caliber team. And I love the way this team is playing. Right now, I think there's a significant difference between 
those four teams that I mentioned earlier in the standings. Uh, when you look at the Nationals in the East and then the Rockies, Diamondbacks, and Dodgers in the West, I think those teams are all significantly uh, more impressive than the Brewers at this point in time. And even beyond a record standpoint, uh, those four teams, when you look at a run differential, so how many more runs or how, uh, how many fewer runs have you scored against your opponents? The, uh, the Dodgers are at plus 98, the Diamondbacks at plus 89, the Rockies are plus 75, the Nationals are plus 69. Those are the four top plus minuses in the National League. The Brewers, to their credit, have the fifth best plus minus, but it is plus 17. So it goes from plus 69 for the Nationals to plus 17 for the Brewers. Statistically, there is a gap between the Brewers and the Nationals. Now, this team would be great again, like I said. be great for them to make it to the postseason. But the aspirations of David Stearns and company is for this to be a championship-caliber team going forward. This wasn't the year that they really spotted as that. And with all due respect to all parties involved, I don't view the Brewers as a legitimate World Series contender at this moment. I, I do view them as a contender to win the division. I think, you know, it's, again... It's June 18th, and they're leading the division. Obviously, they are a contender to win the division. But you just got to pump the brakes a little bit. You don't, trust me, you don't want to see the Brewers at all mortgage the future and some of these top prospects that are going to be coming up just to maybe sneak into the playoffs this year on what might not be uh, a long run for the club. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week. This week's Headlines of the Week are, for the most part, based around uh, moves that the team has made. We'll start with the one non-move, and that's in relation to uh, Ryan Braun. Manager Craig Council was asked about Braun's status on Sunday morning. Uh, there was the hope that he would be able to get out on a rehab assignment sooner than later, but they're essentially still in a holding pattern. Craig Council was clear to say that there's not been another setback as he's come back from rehab, but maybe the, the healing process has not taken place at the speed that the team would like it to take place. So while at one point in time there was the thought process that maybe Ryan Braun would go out on a rehab assignment early this week, that's probably not going to happen. Late this week, there's still a possibility for that, uh, but Braun is uh, the calf still isn't quite where Braun wants it to be for him to get back. But of course, you got to give credit to a lot of guys who have been performing quite well in his absence. As far as the moves, it was a pretty busy week with moves uh, up and down, not really in chronological order, but more in kind of a order of importance. Uh, the team designates for assignment Neftali Feliz this week, and for me. This is the first move that David Stearns has made that quite simply has not worked. Uh, there's a lot of moves that have worked. There's still some moves that the jury is out on, and maybe they will work, maybe they won't work, but there's no final conclusion yet. The Neftali Felice signing was probably the first whiff in the, uh, in the tenure of David Stearns. They gave him pretty big money to come here, and it just didn't work out. Now, if you disagree with that, if you think he's made some other moves that uh, have not been good, uh, you can you can feel free to uh, drop me a tweet at Matt Pauley Radio, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y Radio. And if you bring up you know if you bring up a trade like last year's uh, Lucroy Jeffress trade, 
because the pieces that you got back in that trade have yet to make a major league impact. I don't count that because Lewis Brinson's going to be fine. Ryan Cordell is going to be fine. I mean, these guys that they got back in that trade are still top-level prospects. Brinson is still the best prospect uh, in the organization, even though he's had a slow start to his big league career. So I don't count that so much uh, because the the jur- to me the jury absolutely is still out on that one. The jury's not out on Neftali Feliz. He did not work out. So they designate him for assignment. Uh, they can try to trade him to get a little bit of financial relief, maybe uh, trade him somewhere. You pick up most of the salary, but not all of the salary. That's a possibility. Some speculate that there might still be some interest in Neftali Feliz out there by other teams. He put up okay numbers last year. Maybe you just need to put him in a different situation, change of pace, change of scenery, whatever it might be. So that's one option. The second option is if he uh, goes through, if he's designated for assignment and then clears waivers, uh, you could assign him to uh, AAA. I believe he would then have the option to accept or not accept that assignment. But if for some reason you do want to keep him in the organization and he's cleared waivers, you could offer him the chance to go to AAA or AA, wherever you want to send him, or you just give him his outright release. And I kind of feel like that's the, the most probable thing happening. I would probably say outright release, most probable working out some sort of trade where you get just a a little bit of financial relief, the second most uh, plausible destination, and then the third most would be him going to the Brewers minor league system. Uh, Kind of a tough break this week, not kind of a tough break, a flat-out tough break this past week, as pitcher Brandon Woodruff, another one of the top uh, pitchers in the organization. He was called up to uh, pitch one of the doubleheader games against the Cardinals this past week, and He has made every single start of his professional career. He has never missed a start. He goes out to start warming up, and uh, he feels a little bit of a muscle pull, and he can't go. They end up placing him on the disabled list. So a really tough break for Brandon Woodruff as he was set to make his major league debut and uh, comes up just short. As far as players sent down, Brett Phillips, after he was brought up, he uh, was sent down this past week. Rob Scahill was designated for assignment. He cleared waivers, was assigned to AAA, and he accepted that assignment. So Scahill is still in the organization, but he is off the 40-man roster going forward. Of course, Lewis Brinson has been called up, and I've said it before, and I guess I'm, I'm turning not to be wrong. It happens. I'm wrong on occasion, maybe more than on uh, an occasion. But uh, Brinson is not playing every single day right now. And when they called him up, I think they had the idea that he would play every single day. But Keon Broxton has been on quite the hot streak, and you really can't bench Broxton. And Brinson is still trying to get going. But with like any player coming up, you're going to see some growing pains. I mean, we saw it with Orlando Arcia really uh, all of last year when he was up and to start this year. So Brinson's going to be fine. Don't judge the guy on his first week in the big leagues. Uh, but a little surprised that they haven't been able to get him in the lineup more often. And uh, they're going to have a decision to make when Brian Braun gets back. What do you do with Lewis Brinson? Because I thought once he got to the big leagues, you had to pretty much keep him at the big leagues. I'm backing off that a little bit as well right now. I don't know if there is a place for him on the roster when Ryan Braun gets back because you want Lewis Brinson continuing to play every single day. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. And it is time for our social media conversation, and uh, we're uh, very happy to be able to welcome back onto the program 
He is the managing editor over at uh, Brew Crew Ball. His name is uh, Kyle Leshneski. Kyle, appreciate you taking some time. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. I had a really nice, uh, really nice Father's Day with my family. So, but uh, also pretty excited about a Brewers win today. It was a great game. So now, yeah, we record this on Sunday night, which was Father's Day. Were you able to, you know, it's sometimes the family. Uh, I'm not a father, so I don't speak from experience for myself. Uh, but sometimes the family wants to take you out for lunch or whatever. But sometimes you want to be able to make sure you know what's going on with the ball game. Uh, were you able to get all the family stuff and the ball game all in at the same time today? Yeah, actually, it was nice. My wife, uh, my wife, and my kids made me breakfast this morning. So we uh, woke up and had breakfast around eight, nine o'clock or so this morning, and um, did a lot of our stuff that way this morning. And then uh, by the time the game was coming up, my um, my daughter is three; uh, she'll be turning four a little bit later this a uh, little bit later on this month. And then I have a six-month-old, and uh, they were both getting ready to lay down for their nap. So they. Uh, Lay down for the nap, and I was able to kind of relax, put my feet up, and uh, watch watch the game this afternoon. So it worked out pretty well. It was a, it was an entertaining game, and Jimmy Nelson throws a complete game, uh, gives up just an unearned run, and that was it for for his day. Uh, this team continues to sit in first place, and you know, the last time we talked to you uh, a month and a half ago or so, there was a lot of let's just see what happens. Uh, is is this becoming more kind of real, I guess you could say, because uh, it's it's June 18th as we record this and this Brewers team is in first place? Yeah, I mean, the deeper and deeper we get into the season here, I mean, the, the more difficult that it's going to be to ignore how well this team has, has been playing. And, I mean, I guess when you look at it in, in the overall context, yeah, they're, you know, five teams over 500. They wouldn't really be leading any of the other divisions in baseball, but at the same time, they only really need to worry about beating the teams in the division that they're assigned to, and you know that's really kind of what what we should be focusing on. And and um, you know it's it's hard not to be excited about the way that things have been going here, and and seeing how relatively weak I guess the rest of the division is playing, and and you know it certainly bodes well for the team to to kind of have a chance to stay in this thing for for going forward here. So. I think it's setting up to be a lot of fun for the rest of the summer. That's for sure. It's kind of funny because up until you know the last couple of weeks, everybody's talking about getting Lewis Brinson to the Brewers and Josh Hader and, and you know Brett Phelps, who was there for a moment. Well, now you've got uh, you've got Brinson, you've got Hader, but this team is winning games, and and those guys are are, are not really part of the uh, the equation at least for the moment. Hader had a good outing his last time out, but I think a lot of people thought that there was going to be a big splash and that was going to be the huge headlines when those guys were around. And really, it's been the guys who have been around before them that are continuing to perform well right and yeah I, I think it's really interesting to see you know we saw Keon Braxton kind of in a, an extended slump here for the last last several weeks before they called up Brinson in the last week and now it seems like ever since you know Brinson Brinson came up and he sees this kid right here on his tail ready to ready to take his job you know Keon Braxton seems to have put things into another gear here and uh, you know we're seeing continued strong play from guys like Travis Shaw and uh Eric Thames' as bad has really come alive again here in the last week or so, and um, Manny Pena seems to you know keep clipping along really well offensively here. And you know as Jeff Bandy has kind of been struggling, it you know it it just helps to have that other guy that you can kind of rely on and, and know that he's going to go out there and call a good game, and he's been really great defensively. And um, 
Orlando Garcia, you know, he's kind of surprising me a little bit with the bats um, these last few weeks. He had that nice 11-game hitting streak not too long ago, and um, the level of defense that he's shown here in these, you know, last couple of months or so since we talked, it, I've been really impressed. Um, you know, I, I one of the earlier conversations we had, I was I was a little bit skeptical about the way Garcia had begun the year, and um, you know, he, he kind of had some defensive lapses in the first couple of weeks of the season, and it seems like he's really moved on from a lot of that kind of stuff, and he's been playing a pretty outstanding shortstop overall, and it's been really impressive to watch. He's putting together like, – the play that he had on Sunday where he was in full 360 spin. Oh, my he, gosh, He yeah. was still in the middle of the spin, and he throws a strike <laughs> to first base. It was incredible. The, that the arm that that guy has, man, I I wonder what he would be clocked at off the mound because he just has a cannon. It's it's incredible to watch him play shortstop. I have been seriously seriously impressed. That's for sure. Uh, the the Achilles heel right now for the team is the bullpen, and there's there's been some okay days, but there's been some bad days as well. And uh, you know you've got a you've got a project in Willie Peralta who you're trying to move from being a starter to a relief pitcher, and he hasn't pitched in a while. You're being really careful with Josh Hader, and then you're getting inconsistencies from from Carlos Torres and and, and Oliver Drake. I'll tell you what, the phone calls I get uh, and the text messages I get when I'm hosting the post game show on WTMJ, everybody wants this team to go acquire relief pitching. I think we, you know, the the Tyler Thornburg trade is a great example of what it costs to be able to get uh, relief pitching because of how much the Brewers got back. What what do you see happening with this bullpen? Um right now I, I guess I don't I don't see any major trades or anything like that coming together. Not not really just for the Brewers, but for baseball in general. I mean we're only about the middle of June right now. Um so I don't I don't really anticipate seeing any of that trade market talk or any of that kind of stuff heat up for probably about another month or so. Um, but in the interim, the Brewers do have a lot of guys down in the minor leagues that are pitching relatively well right now. And um, if if they do decide that it's time to move on from somebody like Carlos Torres or Oliver Drake, who um, you know both a couple of guys who have had some pretty glaring issues lately, um, there's a lot of guys like uh, Michael Blazek has been pitching extremely well this year down in AAA Colorado Springs, and has been a guy who has um, shown the ability to go multiple innings down there. So. He's somebody who could maybe come up and provide a little bit of length in the bullpen, a guy who has three pretty good pitches and um, has been getting a lot better results down down in the minor leagues this year after working through some mechanical stuff. Um, Wei Chung Wong is another guy who's been pitching really well out of the bullpen for the Sky Sox. Um, really, uh, they kind of turned him into more of a, a left-handed specialist, it seems. He's pitched almost exclusively in relief this year. Um, but he's certainly somebody who could who could come up and, and fill a role like that for the Brewers, um, maybe more immediately than how they're easing in Josh Hader, who's not really able to go on back-to-back days or anything like that. They're kind of easing him into the to the relief role that they've put him into at this time, and and that's probably the, the smartest thing to do for a guy who's been pretty much exclusively a starter for the, the five years he's um, been a professional pitcher. Um, but uh, really, one guy I think would be interesting to see them bring up and, and try in a relief role kind of similar to what they're doing with um, Josh Hader is Jorge Lopez, who's kind of had some a mixed bag of results in double-A Biloxi this year. Um, he struggled to prevent runs. His ERA is sitting right around five. But um, 
he's been able to cut down on his walks a little bit. His strikeout, uh, his strikeout rate is back up. He's averaging more than a strikeout per inning. And um, this is a guy who's who's always had that that really nice two pitch combination of plus fastball plus curveball. Um, you know, both both pitches that could play up relatively well in a, a relief role and you know maybe get a little bit of extra velocity on that fastball and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the knock on him has always been you know the consistency of his changeup and then his command elapsed a lot from, from time to time. And we saw that last year when, you know, he was averaging almost six walks per nine innings, putting up a, you know, 70 RA in Colorado Springs. So if they wanted to bring up another guy who could, who could be that electric sort of bullpen arm, like they're hoping that uh, Josh Hader can be for them down the stretch or Lopez would maybe in my mind be the, the right-handed version of that. Somebody who could come up and, and, uh, you know, get some strikeouts for you in the bullpen and, and hopefully eat up some of those middle innings that have kind of been a, an issue for this team for the last several weeks. I've always held the belief that, especially when you're talking about prospects, that you can't sit them at the same level of the minor league for too long. Once they kind of master a certain level, you gotta you got to get them moving or it's going to start moving in the other direction. And Lopez is an interesting case because his stuff seemingly doesn't work at Colorado Springs, so they kept him away from Colorado Springs, putting him back at A this year. He had a really good start to the season. He was dominating that league again, but he's fallen off. Uh, do you agree? I mean, feel free to disagree with me, but do you agree that maybe more than anything else right now, it's a case of him just being there too long? Yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily disagree with that either. Um, this is the guy who's who's clearly shown that he can handle the Double A level. He was, you know, the minor league pitcher of the year there a couple of years ago. Had an ERA of about two and a quarter. Um, and even when he came back down to pitch in Double A last year, after he struggled so badly in Colorado Springs, he got some pretty pretty solid results down there last year too. And I mean. We're talking about a guy who's the the Biloxi Shuckers all-time franchise leader in starts and innings pitched and all that kind of stuff. So I mean, the guy the guy has probably two full years or so now of of AA experience. So there's not really much left for for him to accomplish at that level. I mean, he's a he's a 25 year old. He's already pitched in the big leagues. Um, so like I said, I mean, this this is a guy who you know maybe. He's running out of a little bit of time here. He's kind of falling down the organizational depth chart uh, as far as starting pitchers go. We saw um, they gave Brandon Woodruff the call up last week, and um, Josh Hader's already in the big leagues. And you know, at this point, Jorge Lopez next year is going to be the la- his last option year. So you got to kind of see maybe what you have in a guy like this and. And he's clearly shown that he can handle the competition at Double at A. So why not ease him into some big league competition at at in Milwaukee in the bullpen if you're not willing to put him up in Triple A and, and let him pitch in Colorado Springs. I'm a Carlos Torres guy, and that's a tougher position to be in now than it was uh, even even a week ago, especially after what he, I thought he was kind of back on the right track, and then he gave up the home run uh, the other day in San Diego. But you know, the, you can look at it from a raw number standpoint. It's July uh, 18th, and he's got a 4.95 ERA. That's really bad. Uh, if you want to be like me and try to find a way to kind of spin the numbers and, and something that I mention all the time, as recently as May 20. 28th, so we're talking three weeks ago on May 28th he had a 2.67 ERA and that was in a lot of appearances so you know it's it's been three really bad weeks for Carlos Torres but I make the argument that you don't want to uh, 
you don't want to walk away from a guy just based off three bad weeks. Again, that argument was a lot easier to make a few days ago than it is <laughs> right now. But where do you stand on Carlos Torres? Well, Carlos Torres, on the surface, when you when you look at his year last year, yeah, he worked um, 82 or so innings. He had an ERA around 273, I want to say. Um, but but even that kind of masked a little bit that uh, the, the peripheral statistics didn't really support that level of success that he had last year. Um, his uh, field-independent pitching and his deserved run average were both about a run higher than than what his ERA was last season. So looking at more of a guy who was around a three and three quarters or, or four run per nine pitchers than, um, you know, a guy who was a sub three pitcher last year for the Brewers. Um, but uh, so you got to kind of think in the back of your mind, you know, the, the success that he saw last year was nice, but even if, even if he was a guy who was going to be around a three, seven, five, four ERA pitcher, that would still be pretty useful in the Brewers bullpen this year too, but he just he hasn't really been anywhere with that. And he had a nice a nice little run around the middle of uh, middle of May or so that you know you mentioned his ERA got down there pretty low. But he also struggled pretty mightily out of the gates at the beginning of the season, and um, his strikeout to walk ratio has been hovering pretty close to one to one throughout the year. And just in watching him, he's a guy who's who's really struggled to find his consistent command, and he just hasn't been, been hitting his spots like he was last season, and he hasn't been, been getting the same good fortune that he has last season on a lot of his balls in play either. And, and the home runs have really been the biggest killer for him, and he was able to avoid those issues last season, but it's, it's issues that he's had previously in his career too. And, you know, this isn't a guy who has, you know, like a 10-year track record of success in the big leagues. You know, he's, He's kind of been back and forth. He's got parts of eight seasons in the big leagues, and really only about three of them have, have been, I would say, highly successful seasons. The other the other years he's been kind of an average to below average reliever. So, you know, I, I don't think we saw the real Carlos Torres last year, and I don't know that we're seeing the real Carlos Torres now, but how much longer can you wait for a guy who's got a, a middling track record of success to, to find something here as the team sits in first place and as the bullpen has been the, the biggest Achilles heel of the team. So, you know, I, I, Craig Council clearly likes the guy. I think that he's going to get a bit longer of a leash here going forward. But, um, you know, if, if we're still talking about these same kind of issues in, in another three weeks or a month or so, then I, I don't, I don't think the Brewers will hesitate at that time to just kind of start moving on and, and seeing what else they can do to, to try and keep this lead in the division throughout the rest of the season. I mean, it, it, it would make some noise if all of a sudden they had another bullpen blow-up and the next day they make major moves with Michael Blazek and Wong and, and Lopez. I mean, if they all came up at essentially the same time, they could completely make over that bullpen essentially in one day. Yeah, I mean, they, they, if they really wanted to do something like a, like a line change in hockey, um, you know, they, they certainly have the arms in the minor league system to do that. Um, but I, I don't think that we're going to see the, that start of a change in, in any one day. Um, they've kind of started turning it over here. We saw them move on from Rob Scahill, who just accepted his assignment, his assignment down to AAA. Um, and we saw him move on from Nectali Feliz. So if, you know, if, 
if we see another couple bad Oliver Drake outings in the next week or so, he's a guy who I could see kind of being on the fence. And then, you know, we just discussed Flores and, um, it sounds like they're going to give Willie Peralta a little bit longer of a leash as well. But, um, you know, come mid-July or so, if the team is still where they are in the standings and he's, you know, still somebody that they have been really careful with about putting into games and is still somebody that they're kind of afraid to put into a leverage situation and somebody that they're not willing to really use all that often, then I, I don't know what purpose he really serves for the team going forward. And I don't, given that he's making four and a quarter million this year in arbitration and he's only going to be looking at a raise next year if the Brewers were to pick up his tab in arbitration. Um, I don't I don't think that he's going to be a guy that's going to be long for this organization anyways. Eric Thames had a run of four straight days with home runs. He seemed, you know, after after he had just a, a miserable month, he's seemingly gotten things back going again. Do we know yet, though, like who the real Eric Thames is, or is this still just a, a process that we're still trying to figure all that out? Um, I think we're probably still trying to feel it out a little bit here. Obviously, he's not the guy who you know, was, was Mr. All-World in April. Uh, he's not going to be the guy who's going to hit 15 home runs every month, but I don't think he's going to be the guy who's, who's hitting 150 through the month of May or anything like that either. Um, you know, I, I think if we can, if we can look for a guy who's going to hit 30 home runs or so this season and have an OPS over 850 or 900, something in that range, that would be an extremely useful guy to have playing at first base, especially when you consider, um, the value that he's provided both on defense and on the base pads where he's, he's graded out as above average, which is a stark comparison to the negative contributions that they got from Chris Carter last season. Um, so Thames provides a lot more value than just, you know, if he's hitting home runs or, or any of that kind of stuff. He's, he's good on the base pads. He's good on, the, um, he's good on defense. And even when he hasn't been hitting the ball over the fence and, and making that consistent contact, he's shown the ability to consistently get on base because even when his batting average was, you know, below 200 for those several weeks in May, he was still walking enough that his on-base percentage was close to 380 in that time. So even even when he's going through a cold streak, I think he's still going to be a guy that's that's going to get on base so he's not, you know, totally worthless for having in the lineup or anything like that. You look at his uh, average, it's 265, but he's got on base at 399, so he's just about 400. He's slugging at 600. That puts his OPS over 1,000. And for people who don't know OPS, uh, that's taking your on base percentage and your slugging percentage and combining it. So that stat basically uh, it puts together your ability to get on base and also your ability, uh, how many bases you get uh, per plate appearance. And that's what, uh, for folks who don't know what that is, is on the uh, scoreboard at Miller Park. That's what they list now uh, on the when they have the lineup basically on the side as opposed to batting average. But uh, to my point is, I mean, this is a guy that you know he you don't see these guys that often. Who you know maybe he doesn't have the best average, but and he's a power guy, but he's making up for that by continually getting on base. Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's not even like. Because when you, I guess, when you think about the the quintessential like three true outcome hitter, you think of a guy like Adam Dunn who goes up there and he's either going to get a home run, he's either going to strike out, or he's either going to get on get on base with a walk. And um, you know, guys like that tend to strike out in you know thirty or more percent of their plate appearances. You know, kind of like we saw with Chris Carter last year. And 
And even Thames doesn't, when he's cold, strike out at, at that great of a rate. Um, so he's, he's consistently putting the ball in play at a pretty good rate. Um, so we don't have to worry about him going through these extended offers where he's, you know, just swinging at, swinging at garbage and not even giving himself a chance. And, um, that, that eye at the plate, I think is the biggest, biggest thing that he developed over in Korea. And that's going to help him. Like I said, you know, even when he's not, even when the hits aren't falling, it's going to help him be a positive offensive contributor because he's going to be getting on base and, and being there for the rest of the lineup to kind of do the damage that, you know, he's shown that he's capable of doing, but, but maybe not all the time. And especially, you know, if his legs are feeling a little sore, stuff like that, because he's dealt with some of those issues this season. All right. I'll finish you off with this. And, um, I'm generally not the kind of guy to look way ahead in the schedule, but just with the fact that the team is playing so well, I'm looking through the All-Star break, and they have a home series, a four-game series at home against Pittsburgh. Then they go on the road to at Atlanta, at Cincinnati. They have a three-gamer against Miami. I feel pretty good about the way the team can potentially play against those teams, Pittsburgh, Atlanta, Cincinnati, Miami. But after that, going into the All-Star break, uh, you've got home against Baltimore, that one-gamer at Chicago that they have to play because of the non-rain rainout, and then they go to New York for three games against the Yankees before the All-Star break. Again, not to get too far ahead of ourselves right now, but is that last week before the All-Star break with the three against Baltimore, uh, the one against the Cubs, and the three in New York against the Yankees, is that maybe the week where we start to really learn who this team is and whether or not they can um, be a player down the stretch? I think that'll definitely be, you know, kind of a good barometer of where where this team is at. And, um, you know, they're probably going to be a little bit tired going going into that stretch. And um, it it just kind of underscores how important these next few weeks are going to be where, where they're playing these teams that, you know, they should be able to win these, win most of these series at least for the next few weeks here. Um, it, it, it'd be really important, especially considering how inconsistent the Cubs have been you know, for, for the Brewers to pad their record as much as they can right now while they're playing these teams that have been struggling throughout the whole season um, so that when they do start facing those teams like the Dodgers and the Yankees, teams that they'll, that they'll be facing in the playoffs, they don't have to think, okay, you know, we got to win all these games so we can try and keep pace with the Cubs or stuff like that. You know, if they can go through that, through that stretch of games with a 500 record or something like that, then I think that would you know, show that they're in pretty good shape and that they they should be able to be a team that can be reckoned with, you know, later on in the season. Um, this team has shown that, you know, they can they can be pretty dangerous on any given night and it's not the same guys in the lineup who are always doing the damage. You know, we we've seen the last few days Eric Thames carry the team and Keon Broxson carry the team and then, you know, we saw today Manny Pena and Hernan Perez are the guys doing damage and you know, it seems like on any given night, one through eight, anybody in this lineup is, is capable of, of handling the offense and, and driving in runs. And, you know, a team like that is, is certainly dangerous and certainly a, a team that should be, be reckoned with here going forward. And if the Brewers can keep up this level of play and, and you know, kind of, like I said, pad their record here over the next few weeks against some of these sub-500 teams, it'll just make it all that better going into that stretch before the All-Star break where, you know, maybe that'll be sort of their coming out party or whatever they come out and, and start playing really well against these, you know, playoff contenders. And 
you know, the Brewers haven't really been getting a whole lot of national publicity for, for how great of a start that they've been. They're still struggling to get on Sports Center and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, if this team is still in first place come the All Star break, then it's going to be time for people to start paying attention. Kyle, you guys, uh, man, you guys have so much going on over uh, at Brew Crew Ball. You and your entire uh, team, uh, whether it's scouting reports on guys getting called up, the the great stuff that Brad Ford's putting together, and we're going to talk with Brad in just a few minutes. But the stuff he's putting together regarding uh, the draft picks, the game threads for every single game, the features you put together, um, just can you talk to me a little bit about everything you've got going on there, and uh, what folks can expect when they go over to Brew Crew Ball. Um, yeah, right now we've got our um, draft coverage has obviously been the biggest thing these last couple of weeks. And, and as you mentioned, I can't give enough credit to Brad Ford, who's really you know knocked our coverage out of the park this year. He's um, done several interviews with um, a few of the draftees that the Brewers have taken in the first 10 rounds. So if you want to meet meet some guys like Caden Lemons, who the Brewers took in the second round, uh, you know you can head over to Blue Crew Ball and, and check that out. Um, we've got our draft and signing tracker um, live on our front page and you know that's a page that you'll probably want to have bookmarked here for the next uh, the next few weeks as news starts breaking of who's signing and how much their bonuses are going to be and who's not going to sign and especially considering that you know the Brewers took so many high school guys in the middle rounds it'll be really interesting to see um, which of these names they they can end up inking to some some contracts here so you know you'll definitely want to keep in touch with group Fall for that and you know, as we start getting here um, closer to the closer to July and the All Star break, and as this team continues going forward, we're going to start looking at some you know possible trade targets and stuff like that. So, you know, you want to get some great Brewers coverage, great Brewers analysis, and and join the conversation. Head on over to Brew Crew Ball, and you know we've got everything that you would want for Brewers coverage. Kyle, great stuff. Uh, I'm we'll we'll check in with you again uh, soon. Thanks so much for taking some time. Yeah, it was my pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Indeed, we are going down on the farm as Brewers X Journeys, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, does continue on. That being said, we're doing things again a little bit differently. Last week in this segment, we had a, uh, a preview of the draft, and now we're going to uh, review the draft. So in uh, coming weeks, we'll get back to what we normally do here on the Down on the Farm segment, talking with various uh, the minor league broadcasters and everything. We'll get back to that. Uh, but with these last two weeks, we wanted to focus in on the draft. And This is episode number 20, so basically we're making things up as we go along here so we can do pretty much uh, whatever we want. But we're going to welcome in uh, a guy who's actually been on the program a whole lot lately because uh, he's a, a great resource to be able to talk about both the minor leagues and uh, the draft. He is a, uh, a writer over at Brew Crew Ball. He is uh, Brad Ford. You can follow him on Twitter at Brew Crew Blue. Brad, great to have you back on the program. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Always a pleasure, Matt. Let's uh, just generally, because we're going to kind of we're going to do our best, or you're going to, I'm going to do my best to ask you questions that make sense, and then you're just going to give fantastic answers like you always do. But uh, very generally, this draft, uh, first year with Todd Johnson at the helm, although Ray Montgomery obviously is still in the organization. What were your general thoughts overall about how the Brewers did this year? Uh, I really, I was probably one of the people who liked it the most. Actually, some of the draft pundits. Seem to really like it too. You can see MLB.com ranked it at fourth overall. 
but I actually thought it was interesting. I was talking with Kyle, the editor at Brew Crew Ball, how it kind of seemed like the Brewers were actually playing their own game, and I kind of like that, in that normally you see teams in the draft really key in uh, one tool or a guy with a really high tool set. Um, and this year you saw the Brewers really keying in offensively on guys with one or a group of tools they were specifically looking at. And it was strong defense or potential to have strong defense at a position they might not play. And then someone who's really able to control the zone and get a little bit of power over it. So you're getting a breed of hitter in this draft that you don't normally see in the MLB right now. We're having career the last few years we had highs and strikeouts and highs and homers. So in their first top ten rounds, they drafted guys who can really control the bat well, control the zone well, who some of them walk a lot and then also have a little bit of pop. The, they don't have extreme amounts of pop, but they can definitely control the zone and kind of nice to me, refreshing to see them taking a lot of those control hitters, guys who might have a chance at 300 when they reach the ceiling. And then the pitchers, really the only thing you can do with pitchers is guess and hope for the best. And But the ones they got I really liked that are coming in, they got a mix of control pitchers. Um, they got a sinker pitcher, which is kind of where the organization really likes its pitchers to go. And um, in their second round pick, they got a guy who could potentially be throwing 100 miles per hour by the time he's fully developed. All right, let's start rolling through some of the guys, and obviously the the the, the individual that the just the average fan out there uh, heard about was the first pick, the ninth overall pick, and Keston here, an interesting guy, uh, infielder from Cal Irvine. He was a uh, DH all year this past year because he had an elbow issue where he couldn't throw, but he can still hit. Uh, what's your takeaway? You know, everybody, the red flag there is the fact that he can't throw, but that doesn't seem to be bothering the Brewers at all. No, and actually during his interview right after he was drafted with the media, he did say he got platelet treatment for that. His elbow feels great. It didn't hurt at all while hitting. And he might not even need surgery, which would actually be a pretty good development as far as brewers are concerned because it would let them continue developing him. Um, as far as hitters are concerned, he might need Tommy John surgery, and people tend to panic when they hear Tommy John surgery. But he is, with a hitter, it's not quite the same. And defensively, you can protect his arm by putting him at second. Uh, we don't really know how he's going to work out defensively. In years past, when he was able to play the field, he didn't look amazing, but he also didn't look like a liability. Um, but you really like to get the max potential out of him, and unfortunately, the arm looks like it's going to force him into a certain position. Thankfully, second base is somewhat of a weak position throughout the farm. You have a couple middle infielders in the system who play short or second, but none that uh, particularly specialize at one or the other. Um, and it looks like just to protect his arm so he's not making a bunch of strong throws, they're going to leave him at second. Uh, the calling card with Keston is his bet. I heard a lot of and read a lot of reports saying he has a bat in the class. If you're familiar with it, there's a 2080 scale that scouts use for grading tools. Hitting is one of the tools, and the closer you are to 80, the better. 60 means plus or really good, and a lot of people were giving him a 70 for his bat. So that's talking about a 320, 340 hitter when he maximizes his ceiling. And then and he's not just a contact guy. He also has some power in that bat where he can hit 20 to 25 home runs. Uh, not incredibly fast. Might be able to steal you 
15, 20 bags in a really good year, but he's a guy who can hit, and that bat could feed him through the system if, unless his surgery slows him down a little bit. But once he's fully healthy, he'll move quick. The They select Tristan Lutz with their uh, compensatory pick there uh, after the first round is over. This is a guy who was actually rumored to be maybe their pick at number nine. They get him at what is the 34th overall pick. Uh, what's the uh, Is that a really solid pick for the team considering how highly they thought of him? Yeah, I think the Brewers might have been more high on him than a lot of other teams in the draft. I mean, clearly uh, they can get him by the second time around. Um, but... I think the organization was thrilled that they could get him here. He's a potential five-tool player. Uh, again, another guy who controls the ball really well in the zone, is able to wait for his pitches and really crushes out, crushes them out, which is really, really impressive considering he's a high schooler. Uh, normally high schoolers you see struggle with the zone a little bit more, and they show some discipline at that age, but you really need to work into it as you start going through the organization. But Tristan doesn't show that problem really in development so far. We'll have to see what it's like in pro ball. I'm guessing he'll play rookie ball, probably in the Arizona League once they get him signed and he starts playing. But then he also not only controls the bat well, but he has power. Probably what you give to Keston in hitting, um, you take away from his hitting and give a little bit to power, so he's more of like a middle offensive potential product. I actually vaguely compared him to Jeff Jenkins in that he has the potential to be an elite corner defender. Uh, with his arm, and he has decent range, a good ability to run, and he's a, the type of guy who could hit you to 80, 20 home runs once he develops. So he's a really solid offensive pick, and I mean, that's just basing what he could be off of what he is as a high schooler now. What high schoolers can always develop to become much more than what you project them to be, and of course, the draft uh, kind of seems like, you know, a wild card, so he could also never advance past double A, but as far as potential that you see in this pick, he's really exciting. Uh, the second round pick is Caden Lemons. He's the first pitcher. He's a high school pitcher. Uh, I, one of your more recent uh, meet the draft pick pieces over at Brew Crew Ball uh, focused in on him. Uh, what do you uh, What do you like about him? Uh, I really in the, that interview I had with him, we spoke over the phone, and he is a very personable, interesting guy, uh, which. A lot of people who read the article were impressed because how polite he was in the interview really showed through the text. He was a very well-mannered young man who seemed to have a great head on his shoulders, talked a lot about how he doesn't want to make his game look like anyone else's who's played, so he just tries to play to his strengths and the character he is. Um, as far as on the mound, though, he does have a lot of work to do. He is increasing a lot of velocity. He talked to me about how over four months he had worked on his velocity, and just in those four months, he was able to add about seven miles per hour. Hmm. He's tall, he's skinny, and when graphics come in skinny and they're able to add on muscle, they're normally even able to throw harder. So the Brewers think he can increase his current top of 97 miles per hour even more than that. Um, his big problem right now is his breaking pitches. A lot of that is because tall, lanky kids tend to have problems receiving their mechanics. And if you watch video of him, you can watch, um, I really suggest, if you want to understand it, watch his front foot. His front foot lands in a different spot every time. It lands at a different angle every time. And because of that, it tends to screw up how you're throwing your breaking pitch and where you're throwing your breaking pitch. So he has a lot of trouble getting that over the plate. So if the Brewers can work with him to master some of that length 
and get it more consistent, he can be a dangerous weapon. And, it's not, and two, with his breaking pitches, it's not that they don't have movement. It's just that he can't control them, so they're not useful tools right now. Change-up's all right, but his fastball is really the best weapon he has. Um, and I imagine even if he can't master those breaking pitches, that he'll be a really useful tool in the back of a bullpen someday. With the uh, in the third round, they go to the number one team in the nation in Oregon State, and they've just had a, a fantastic season, being pretty much number one all season long. And go with KJ Harrison. He's played some first base. He's caught. He has good bloodlines. His dad uh, played some professional baseball. What is this guy's future? I based off everything I read, I assume he's not going to be a catcher moving forward. Did that be correct? Well. Him being drafted as a catcher kind of shocked the world because he hasn't really caught in college. He caught a lot in high school, but he hasn't. He's caught minimal amount of games in college, really just when they needed to catch her uh, to fill in for a little bit of time. So he really, as far as speculation goes, a lot of people think he's going to move to first base. However, he is from Hawaii, and the Brewers drafted Cody Medeiros and uh, Jordan Yamamoto from Hawaii, in the same year, uh, KJ was a senior over there. So maybe they saw him catching and saw some tools that they really liked and went back to the tapes that they had from scouting those games saw that he might be able to be there. If they draft him as a catcher, I really think that they're going to try and make it work. But the problem is we just, because it's been so long since he's been in that role a substantial amount, we really don't know what he's going to look like. But again, sticking with the theme, he's got a great bat. He walks. He makes a lot of contact, doesn't strike out as much as a lot of the other players, and has a good amount of power. So either way, he should have an offensive profile that can play okay at first base. Ideally, at first base, he wants somewhat elite power or great power. Uh, he doesn't have that, but he'll have a contact power rate that should protect him pretty well, where if he makes it to the majors in that role, he'll still be a usable player at first base. But I'm really interested to see how he looks behind the plate. I'm guessing they'll take him along slowly if they think they can stick there, probably start him in rookie ball. Hey, but he is a college guy, too, playing at high-level college, so he's somebody who probably there's a little bit of pressure to move through the system relatively quickly, right? Right. Well, you'd assume that with a college pick, but catchers always develop the most slowly, even out of college, because um, the difference in what a catcher is expected to do from the college level to the pro level is so substantial that it always just takes longer. You need to learn how to call a game. You need to get uh, used to the expectations defensively that a catcher faces. And, um, I mean, you just need to really fine-tune the mechanics. They have a much higher standard in the majors than they do um, at college. I mean, a lot of times, or including setting the defense, coaches call all that in college. A lot of times if you watch a game, you'll see the coach or the catcher looking over the coach every single time. You'll still see that somewhat in the majors, but they really don't want to be calling every pitch. So it could progress a little bit more slowly, but if he were a first baseman, he'd probably be through the system in two to three years if everything went as the Brewers would hope it would go. Brendan Murphy is selected with the fourth pick. This is another guy that you've got a uh, meet the draft pick feature uh, up at uh, Brew Crew Ball on. Taking a little bit, uh, he's going to have to get paid a little bit of over slot if he's going to sign, correct? Right, yeah. Um, I was actually reading a story and talked to him a little bit about this, but uh, he had slot expectations to go above the fourth round. He still thought some people might meet it, but the Orioles called his advisor, and what they were pitching, he wasn't buying. 
So he went downstairs, started doing laundry, and gave up his hopes, started being ready to pack up and go to college and start the baseball season over there when suddenly he got a call out of nowhere where the Brewers were willing to meet his demands. Uh, the pundits don't really have him ranked above where the Brewers took him, but clearly the, um, his expectation and the money the Brewers are willing to go um, he got a pretty good value at that fourth-round slot. Uh, he sits below 90s from the left side of the mound, um, and he has a really great changeup, which you really don't see in high school pitchers often at all. Normally, they just don't want to throw the changeup. It's more fun to throw a curveball or a slider, but uh, he is able to really command it. He has repeatable mechanics, so his low 90s fastball and changeup really work together. And uh, he could even add on a little bit more weight to get that going. And even he told me that he knows he needs to work a little bit on his curveball and get a more consistent bite if he wants to be in the rotation someday. He told me he expects to be the ace of the staff. Uh, so <laughs> a guy who has a lot of belief in himself, and he really believes he's going to get that curveball working. Uh, Nick Egnatuck, taken in the fifth round, another guy that you uh, you talked to. Uh, what uh, he's a, he's an infielder. He's a third baseman. Uh, what what strikes you about this pick? Uh, so he's actually surprisingly athletic. He was telling me he's, which normally as you get older, you don't get more quick, but he actually has been slowly increasing or decreasing the time for a 60. He's really happy about that. He thinks he's going to be quite a threat on the base path when he matures, and uh, he can continue improving that time. Again, it's a theme. Like I said, they really went after a certain type of player, and Nick is a high-contact guy. He can make a lot of power, but he told me that when he does try to make power, he loses a lot of that contact weight, and he'd rather be able to get the ball on the ground and make it on base and do damage on the base pass than try to hit over the ball every time. Again, that's a really sure mindset for a high schooler. And uh, he has a good arm, very good arm, decent range. Uh, did show he could play a little bit of shortstop, but... Uh, that was really just to show flexibility in his position and that he was able to be somewhat versatile, but I really don't see him being anything but a third baseman in development. He doesn't quite have the height and power ratio that you want in a first baseman, uh, but he does have some really good tools. And he's a guy who, playing in New Jersey, scouts don't really get to see a lot, but from my understanding, talking to him, the Brewers have been scouting him for a long time. Uh, He said he's actually had a relationship with the scouting director out there for quite a bit, and he was the Brewers were the team he kind of expected to go to. So I think the Brewers really know what they're getting, and they're really excited to have him in the fifth round, um, even though other teams might not have gotten to see him as much and really know the potential he has. Hmm, interesting. Um, Devin Harrison, he, here's a guy who played for, you know, we talked about K.J. Harrison playing for the number one team. Louisville uh, was the number two team for much of the nation. They're still uh, they're still alive, I believe, in the College World Series as we're speaking. Yeah, they're, they've won their only game uh, so far. Uh, I don't I don't know a lot about these draft picks. I'm not a I'm not quote unquote draft guy, but everything I saw from Harrison's during the course of the season, this looks like a, especially at, at pick number 174, this looks like really good value and a guy who could turn into something. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and uh, the rankings really agree with that too. Um, the lowest he was ranked was 130, so if you get him at 174, uh, shows value there. But he where he really gets hit is he's five foot seven. So he's not the biggest guy. Uh, he gets a lot of comps to Jose Altuve because he's a high contact and very tiny person. 
Um, although I don't think it's ever fair to complain or compare someone playing at the level Jose Altuve is at. So fans don't get excited about that. But again, a really high contact guy has a great feel for the strike zone. Doesn't walk as much as the other guys, but he uh, really tries to make contact and get on base. And it's always better to have a guy who's going to put the ball and play than strike out. Um, not a lot of power. Um, also, I don't feel less speed there, so I'm not sure if he'll be able to stick at short. Uh, probably a guy who needs to move over to second. He does have somewhat of a strong arm, so he might go to third, but normally you don't want someone quite that short playing at third. But a really exciting profile with the bat and defensively because he has, despite not having a lot of speed, he does have great instincts, and you can really see it when watching the College World Series where they always talk about how uh, Orlando Arcia with the big league club is almost moving with the ball before it even comes off the bat. You can see that in Harrison a little bit, those instincts that you just can't teach. He really knows how to foul the ball and get over there. So he's just a smart baseball player, and you, it's always good to have a guy who makes a lot of contact like he does. One more player from the first few rounds I want to talk about because you uh, you spoke with this individual as well. And again, all these uh, meet the draft pick uh, features are available at Brew Crew Ball, and I encourage folks to go read them. Uh, but the the next draft pick, a, a JUCO kid in uh, Bowden, Francis. He's a pitcher. He's from uh, Chipola Junior College, which is one of the better junior colleges. Just their entire athletic department from top to bottom generally produces pretty good uh, players. What did you learn about this guy in your conversation? Uh, well, one of the most interesting things is uh, the draft was a family affair, so he got drafted with his brother, who went in the fourth round. Uh, but as far as how he works, he's a sinker-slider guy. Uh, his slider, his out-pitch probably projects mostly to the bullpen. But he does have a three-pitch mix. He throws his change up a lot. Um, it's pro- the worst of the three. The slider has a nice, sharp bite to it, and he can kind of play around with it where it gets more to a cutter. Um, so to work with his slider and then his sinker going the other way, the hitters, because the sinker is his best pitch, hands down. Um, he's really got an interesting mix there, and um, he was an FSU signee, but from what I was talking to him, it sounds like he's interested in signing and is very likely to sign, uh, but he's a guy who I think can move quickly, uh, and he talked really about the way he talks about using his sinker is really promising. He talks about how his goal is to get people on their hands and really get them to try to hit it and get it on the ground because he wants a lot of bad swings on it, um, which is ideally what you want a sinker baller to be using their sinker with. Uh, as you said, he's a junior college player, so he, uh, again, you don't expect the most maturity uh, just because of the age. And normally, with a lack of maturity in pitchers, comes a lot of want to strike a hitter out. But I didn't get the sense of that at all. He knew his stuff that works better when he uh, can get them to make bad contact and really get them to get it in on the barrel. Um, and although he does clearly, well, the way he talked about his slider, he clearly likes when he can get someone out on that with a swing and a miss. Uh, but, yeah, it seems like a good guy. with from three-quarter slot, like I said. Uh, I imagine they'll try him as a starter. But they'll move him to the bullpen, and then his thinker plays up from 92 max to a 96 max. So you can get a, I mean, that's a devastating thinker to get in on someone. So he could be a fun pitcher who could actually move pretty quickly. 
As we sit on Sunday night, from everything I've seen, four picks have signed. Uh, eighth rounder Jason Rose, ninth rounder Dallas Carroll, 21st rounder Dylan File, and 38th rounder uh, uh, Roby Rojas. Uh, let's go to File for a second, the 21st rounder. Again, we've got, there's 40 rounds. We can't talk about every single guy, and it's tough to figure out maybe which low rounders are going to blossom into something. But talking to you a little bit beforehand, I get the sense that uh, you're high on File. Yeah, he's actually pretty exciting to me because um, I feel a lot of times the D2 and D3 players uh, don't get the credit they deserve, but he actually had somewhat of an elite career at his school uh, before getting drafted. He has the record in strikeouts, wins, uh, opponent batting average, and most career strikeouts. Uh, he's tied for the record there, or shutouts. He's tied for the record there. So he had quite the elite performance. Uh, I watched a little video on his stuff, uh, and he really looks like he has a repeatable delivery, carries himself well, actually kind of reminds me of Cody Ponce from a few years ago. So if you can get a Cody Ponce type at 21, that's amazing, because normally <laughs> you kind of feel as much as a crapshoot as the draft is, it's easy, it, you multiply it by 1,000 once you get to 11, and from there on out, you almost never get a player in that area who's going to work out. Uh, the Brewers have gotten a couple in recent years, and it looks like I really am high on file. I think he is uh, has a lot of ceiling and likely just went somewhat ignored um, because of the school and lesser competition he played in. Kind of reminds me of Lucas Ersig, too, who had um, file doesn't have the character issues that Ersig came with, but Ersig wasn't graded as highly because he was playing with uh, lesser competition. Yeah. And I, I think File, based on the video I've been able to see of him and the way he works hitters, he just looks like a really solid, smart pitcher who gets me a little excited. And normally I don't get excited about anyone or many people after a lesson. I'll finish you off with this. The The Brewers did something kind of interesting. From picks 11 through 19, they went with all high school guys. And what's rare about that, for people who maybe don't understand, when you draft a high school guy, you essentially have to give him enough money to make it worth his while not to go to college. Well, uh, they go 11 through 19, all high school guys. We already know that Noah Campbell, the number 19, 19th round pick, uh, shortstop from uh, North Carolina, high school North Carolina, he's not going to sign. We don't know yet about 11th through 18, but uh, what is the thought process in drafting all these high school kids? The Brewers have to know that, I mean, if they sign half of these guys, they might be lucky. Right, and in the interviews I've read, they acknowledge that. They acknowledge that. They they kind of pass it off by saying, we know we're never going to sign all our draft picks. You never sign all 40 or 41 draft picks. But clearly, (laughs) they're expecting to swing and miss a little bit more. Um, I think they're just hoping to get lucky, like they did with. I kind of feel like they got lucky with Chad McClanahan last year when they heard him at 11. He's actually MLB.com's number 30 prospect in the system, and they got him at number 11 or in round 11 last year. Um, but it's very strange because unlike the first 10 rounds, where you can really play around with that money, uh, maybe draft a couple seniors because seniors don't have the leverage to go back to school so you can sign them under the assigned slot values that they give you at each round, and then use that money to sign someone who requires more money, you can't do that in rounds 11 through 40. You're stuck at a price. You can manipulate some of it, but you're only given a percentage that you're allowed to go over. And you definitely can't give all nine of those 
that percentage because then you're going to be out of money and not going to be able to sign anybody. Um, we already know some of these guys aren't going to sign, as you talked about, uh, round 19 pick. And also, from what I understand, Gage Workman, uh, he actually went out of his way. It sounds like he's simultaneously anxious to play baseball, but also he's Mormon and really wants to go on his mission trip. Mm. So he graduates at 17 with a 4.1 GPA graduating a year early, which is really impressive to me. Um, and it sounds like what he's going to do is go to a year of college, go on his mission trip, come back, finish college, and get drafted, which is similar to what his father did when he was drafted by the Dodgers in 92. He actually ended up getting drafted three more times after that before finally playing with the Padres. Um, so he's a guy who I guess the Brewers are just taking that risk and hoping they can attract him, but he doesn't sound like he can sign. Uh, but there's a lot of interesting talent. Um, you have Max Lazar, uh, who's pretty who throws in the lower 90s, but um, thrown a lot of innings for a high school that works pretty well. Um, Javon Ward has quite the lineage. He has um, actually his dad played football for Notre Dame, and his uncle played in the NFL with Pro Bowl safety. Um, he, he actually sounds like the guy they might be hoping signs the most based on his athletic history. But the problem is he hasn't shown any of that. He looks lost on the baseball field. He doesn't run fast. So it's just another flyer that they're hoping, hey, maybe we can work him out and get him at the point we need him instead of letting a college do it for us and him going in the second or first round in three years. Um, Lair, who they took, is from Puerto Rico, and uh, Puerto Rico players just happen to sign younger, and I'm hoping they're kind of working that due to his love of baseball, which um, he has heard because his father has also has a history of playing baseball, and he's been playing baseball for a long time, that they might be able to bait him into a contract. Um, he's a really good infielder for his age, a switch hitter who looks awkward from the left side but has some power from the right side. So really, those first three guys, I think, might be the ones they're hoping to land and just develop with that wild card. But I can't imagine they think that they're going to sign more than, I don't think, more than three from that group of nine. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he is Brad Ford. You can uh, read him at Brew Crew Ball. You can follow him on Twitter at Brew Crew Blue. Uh, Brad, uh, I assume as guys get signed, and you're still going to be continuing to uh, take a, a pretty good look at some of these draft picks moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, we're working with one of my favorite minor league slash draft writers, Christopher Crawford. We're going to have an interview up with him and what he thinks of the draft coming up. Um, I'm continuing to work on trying to get more interviews for the meet new the new brewers, or you can go and read through those. Those kids are really interesting and had a lot of great things to say, um, and even give you a self scouting report of their own work. Um, and then I'm actually going to start breaking down some of the older drafts, um, definitely 2014, and looking at that since that's the last legacy that the former administration's going to leave on to this team, and seeing how they perform. So a lot of interesting things draft-related coming up. And then, of course, you get our minor, minor, <laughs> daily minor league updates on the site. Perfect. Sounds good. Thanks so much for uh, joining us, as always. I'm sure we'll uh, have you back on the program very soon. Sounds great, Matt. And that was Brad Ford. We appreciate him taking some time with us, uh, going back and looking at all aspects uh, of the draft. And it is notable, if you want to uh, check out uh, what's going on with the draft, you can go to brewcrewball.com. They've got the, uh, the, the draft and signing tracker 
as it sits uh, right now. Uh, three players have been uh, signed. Uh, a couple players have said they're not going to sign and said they're going to go to college, but you can always check out uh, which draft picks have been signed, and a lot of times even what their signing bonus is, you can check that out by going to Brew Crew Ball. So we appreciate uh, both guys from Brew Crew Ball taking some time with us today as we had uh, Kyle Esneski, the managing editor, uh, early on the program, and then when we wrap it up with uh, Brad Ford. Here is what is on the schedule for uh, this upcoming week for the Brewers. And as another reminder, I remind you all the time, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here, but we do record the podcast on Sunday night. The Brewers have four games against the pod, uh, the Pirates, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. 6.40 starts on Monday and Tuesday, a 7.10 start on Wednesday, and then an afternoon 1.10 game on Thursday. That will wrap up the homestand. The Brewers also have an opportunity to get back to 500 at home with a good showing. Going into the first game of the Pirates series, they sit one game under 500 on their home record at 19 and 20. We know how well they've played on the road. You want to see them get above 500 at home, and they've got an opportunity to do that, especially if they could take three out of four against the Pirates. So that's the bulk of the week, and then going into the weekend, they will play a three-game set in Atlanta. They'll play uh, at 6:35 on. On Friday, followed by a 3:10 game on Saturday and a 12:35 game on Sunday before an off day on Monday the 26th, and then they wrap up the road trip with a three-game series against Cincinnati. All right, that's gonna do it for this edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Once again, big thank yous going out to our two guests this week: Kyle Lesneski from Brew Crew uh, Ball, talking all things Milwaukee Brewers baseball, and also Brad Ford doing a full recap. Uh, of the draft and uh, given some great information. It is, of all the drafts out there, man, it is tough to follow along with the Major League Baseball draft. You know, over a thousand players selected in that draft. It is crazy. And folks like Brad and, you know, uh, last week uh, when we were able to uh, have Toby Harmon on, just guys like that who are so locked in on the draft, uh, they are great resources for me because I am I'm not that locked in. I'll, I'll, I'll readily admit that. I am not that locked in. All right, so that's going to do it. Again, thanks to those guys, and uh, thanks to you for uh, listening to another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Again, if you ever have any feedback for us, whether it's just general stuff about the podcast or about a specific issue that we could touch on, uh, feel free to tweet at me, at Matt Pauley Radio, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y Radio. Always appreciate the Twitter follows as well if you want to do that. Uh, always uh, always enjoy. I appreciate the people who take time to press the follow button and are interested in the different things that I, uh, that I tweet out. I will talk to you next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. We've been powered by WTMJ Mullen. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.